You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use well, and share this everyone. podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know uh, more about our church, or if you'd like to, to donate to the work of City on a Hill, today. please visit cityonahill.com.au. As we get started, I wanted to share with you uh, that last year, towards the end, our lead pastor, Andrew Grills, invited me to be part of the, the pastoral team here at Geelong. Sounds like a great privilege, right? Sounds like something that one would accept straight away. But actually, I thought it's worth clarifying what the ask is. I know what a pastor is, but does that align with what Andrew is asking me to do? Does he have a different definition? What exactly is he looking for me to do or to help with as a pastor here at City on a Hill Geelong? I think it's always worth clarifying the ask. Just just finding when someone asks us to do a task or job, however big or small, what exactly is being requested here. I learned that the hard way a number of years ago when I thought I'd save some money uh, by asking my kids to wash my car. I said to my young ones, I'll give you, I don't know, $5 each if you'll wash my car. They accepted, but I never clarified what I meant by that, and they never asked. And so after forking out the money and still finding my car was actually worse off than when I began, I had to wash it again myself. If we check and see what these things mean when asked to do something, how much more should we do it when it's a great task? A big job. We're in a series at the moment where we're looking at Jesus' great commission. It's at the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28. And so far we've seen that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And so therefore we're commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. That's a huge job. And so as we consider this commission, this job, this task before us, it's worth clarifying the ask. What exactly does Jesus mean by making disciples? What does it look like to do this? Now, chances are you know the Great Commission or have some idea what comes next. But if you just suspend that for a moment and just think about making disciples... What would you do? If you were to get out and make disciples, how would you do that? Perhaps think of someone you know who you describe as a disciple maker. What is it that they do? I suspect that if we clarified the top two things that we think is involved in making disciples, we might actually come up with different answers to Jesus. He told his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. I think that second one we're a bit more familiar with. As we heard so helpfully last week, Don explained to us that a disciple is actually a learner. And so it makes sense that we would teach 
things if we're making disciples. I would assume that your answer had something to that effect. But baptism, would you have that there in the top two things? Even if you did, would you have it first? Did you notice that Jesus said that the the way to make disciples is to baptize and teach? Surely we'd do it in the other way. Teach and then baptize. What does Jesus understand about baptism that makes it a core discipleship activity? We want to clarify that ask today. I'm going to speak primarily on baptism. Teaching was, dis- uh, was covered last week. And I want us to drill into this topic to understand why baptism is so important in the task of making disciples. As we get started on this, let me just clarify how we're going to do it. We're going to spend time in the Bible. And we're going to primarily do that by looking at earlier in Matthew's gospel where Jesus talks about baptism and explains it a bit. It'd be helpful, therefore, if you have Matthew chapter 3 open before you. We're going to use that as a springboard to look at other places, both in the Old and New Testament. However, the second thing I want to say about how we're going to go forward, yes, we're going to look at the Bible, but chances are, in a congregation of this size, there's lots of different ideas and beliefs about baptism. As I've attended our church over the last few years, I've met people who come from a Baptist background. Some who come from a Reformed belief system. Some who might be charismatic. We're a very diverse group of people and I love that about us. And so it's worth just saying how we're going to approach the Bible. By that I mean what sort of lens we're going to look at it through. I'm wearing lenses right now. I need these lenses so that I can see long distance. I have other lenses or glasses, such as prescription sunnies. They give me a different view on life. And as we come to the Bible today with perhaps different lenses, different backgrounds or beliefs, I just want to say that today we're going to talk about what City on a Hill believes about baptism. You might know that City on a Hill is an authorised Anglican congregation. And in the Anglican belief system, they talk about baptism as a sign and a seal. There's a quote coming up here. This is actually not from the Anglican belief system, but it captures this idea that baptism is a sign and a seal. What does that mean? We're going to unpack it now as we look at the biblical text. But as we do so, I just want to spend a moment to think about signs, because this is the most important, I think. We all are familiar with signs. We know that they indicate something, they represent something, they symbolise something, they signify something. I've spent a lot of time over the last two months on the road, and so I've seen a lot of signs. Perhaps this one. Do you recognize it? 
I think we're a bit more familiar with such a sign. It says the road is ending, so slow down and decide whether you're going left or right. But not all signs we're as familiar with. This one, I think we recognize it, but we might respond in different ways when we see it. Do you just slow down? Do you only slow down if there's actual work happening? Do you slow down to 40 if there's a police car around? <laughs> we know what this sign says. The speed limit is 40 because there's roadworks. But maybe we don't actually do it all the time. This final sign, uh, I was actually unfamiliar with it when I saw it in regional Victoria over the summer period. Do you know what it means? It indicates, it signifies, it represents that when you're on the freeway heading in a particular direction, there's a, a sort of path to cross over coming up so that you can sort of do a U-turn and go back the other way if you've missed your exit or something. We know what signs signify or represent. And when baptism is described as a sign, do we know what it represents? Maybe we're more familiar with some of them than others. Let's therefore unpack the four things that baptism signifies. We're in Matthew chapter 3. And in verse 1 we're told, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first thing we see here is that baptism goes hand in hand with the word, with preaching. And it's a response to the word. John says, repent, and we're told in verse 5 and 6, when Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Baptism signifies cleansing of sin. When these people heard the word of God preached, they turned away from their sin. They said sorry for their sin. And then they were baptized to represent, to signify that their sins truly were gone and dealt with. That it wasn't just mere words that they were practicing. And this idea of back, uh, this background to baptism actually comes from the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 6, we're told that God was looking down from heaven onto the earth. We'd imagine that's a pretty great view, wouldn't we? But it actually says what God saw. He saw that every inclination of every man's heart was always evil all the time. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? <laughs> what an awful view that God looked down at the earth at that time and he saw that every inclination of every man's heart was always evil all the time. And so God resolved to cleanse the world, to wash away sin. Now, of course, water can't actually do it. It signifies it. It's a sign of what Jesus can do for us. And 1 Peter 3 picks up on this. It talks about that imagery of Noah in the ark at that time. 
And it says baptism corresponds to this. It's a pledge of a good conscience to God. I've repented of sin. I've turned away from it. I'm going to live the joyful life of obedience now to you, Lord God. Baptism is about cleansing of sin. It represents it. We're probably familiar with that, but we're probably less familiar with the next thing that baptism signifies. This comes from verse 7 and following in Matthew chapter 3. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's a very surprising response, isn't it? I'm sure we all know enough not to begin conversations with calling someone a bunch of snakes. But it's even more surprising when you realise Johnny's baptising people because they're confessing their sins. This group of people come up and they want to confess their sins too. And John says, hang on a sec. This is not for you. That suggests to us that baptism also signifies the community of God's people. Although we might not often think this way, baptism is a uniquely Christian thing. It shows that you are now part of God's family. And again, this comes from the Old Testament. Again in Genesis chapter 17 this time, we hear that God's people used to have another sign that they belonged to God and his people. It was the sign of circumcision. Now, <laughs> I don't want to be indelicate or spend too much time on this, but we, we know that circumcision was cutting off an extra piece of flesh. And that signified that sin has been cut off from us. And this imagery again is picked up in the New Testament where we're told that we've had our hearts circumcised. We've had sin snipped away from inside of us. And actually in Colossians chapter 2, Paul takes it a fair bit further. He says baptism represents the total removal of the sinful nature. It's not just cutting away a little bit of flesh. No, the sinful flesh, the sinful man has been taken out of us. That's drastic surgery. And baptism represents that. That we are a new person. That we're a new creation. That sin has not just been confessed, it's been dealt with, and we now belong to God's people. Baptism, therefore, represents cleansing of sin and incorporation into the community of God's people. Thirdly, baptism also represents or signifies the coming of the Holy Spirit. Read with me in Matthew chapter 3. Verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. His sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you 
with the Holy Spirit. Baptism has to be about more than just repentance. Because in the very next passage, Jesus came to be baptised. He's got nothing to repent of. And John draws a distinction here between his baptism and that of Jesus. Jesus is greater because he will baptise with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a whole lot of discussion about what baptism of the Holy Spirit is or means. But to, to help us enter this conversation very briefly and simply, again, we're going to go back to the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. That imagery there sets up for us a sense of expectation. And sure enough, God goes on to create life. In the very next chapter, we can see again that water does represent life in the Bible. The Garden of Eden is described to us, sometimes in great detail about the four rivers that sort of map off, map off its boundaries. And the imagery there represents for us that if it's well watered, life will be abundant. That makes sense, doesn't it? In the Middle East, where God's people Israel lived, water was essential to life. And so it's no surprise that again in the New Testament, this metaphor is picked up. This happens particularly in the Gospel of John. In chapter 3, Jesus will say, you have to be born again of water and the Spirit. The two go together in his mind. In John chapter 4, he says, I will give you water that will well up to streams of eternal life. And in chapter 7, he explains all this imagery as he says, I'm talking about the Spirit here. The Spirit is the one who gives us life. Baptism, using water, represents this. It's a sign that the Spirit now lives in us. We're not just repentant of sin. We're not just forgiven and part of God's people. We're now living a new life to God. Beautiful imagery, isn't it? It's powerful, vivid stuff. And the last one is no exception. Baptism is a sign of cleansing, of the community, of the Spirit coming, and also, of course, it's a sign of Christ. For this one, I actually had to go out of Matthew's gospel. Because in the very next gospel, Mark, in chapter 10, Jesus talks about his baptism that seems to still be yet to come. And, and we might sort of scratch our heads at this thing and think, well, how does that work when in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was baptised? It's because Jesus spoke of his death as a baptism. We can appreciate that in the, the Middle East, water represents life, but it also represents its opposite, death. If you're a desert-dwelling Israelite, the sea would be incredibly scary to you. 
You haven't grown up like us in Australia swimming. And we see this, I think, in the book of Jonah, where Jonah, of course, goes down into the water. He drowns, as it were, and he is really, it seems, it really seems that he is dead. Jesus uses this imagery again to describe his death and resurrection. In Mark 10, Jesus is talking about his death, how he will go into the ground and come up again. And Romans 6 explains that, that when we go down into baptism, under the water, we're symbolically drowning. We're dead. Dead to sin. And when we rise out of the waters of baptism, we proclaim that Christ is resurrected. Christ lives and united by faith to him, we live. Baptism signifies cleansing, incorporation in the community of God's people, the coming of the Spirit, and of course, Christ's death and resurrection. So as we hear these things and reflect upon them, let me ask you all a question. Have you been baptised? Maybe this is the first time you've heard such things. Maybe you know in your mind that, that Jesus saves us from sin, but maybe having heard today, what he can do has changed something in you. It's impacted you in a way it never has before. If that's the case, then get baptised. Jesus again said the first step to discipleship is baptism because it represents all that he has done for us. If you understand what Jesus has done, then show that. Signify it. Get baptized and declare, here is what Jesus has done. Or perhaps you're a long-standing Christian. Perhaps not a lot of what I've said is new to you at all. Get baptised if you haven't already. Baptism is like a visible word. It's a proclamation of the gospel that we can see. So if you haven't been baptised, talk to one of the pastors today. Talk to one of the prayer people on the side. Proclaim what Jesus has done. Get baptised to signify all that Jesus has done for you. Now, as we start to wrap up, I just wanted to finish on this last thing, because if you remember, I said the Anglican Church believes that baptism is a sign and a seal. Just going to spend a quick moment on a seal. That's not something we think about all that much, is it? I was actually watching the movie Dune this week, and there there was a moment where a noble sort of put his ring into some hot wax to, to sign a document saying, this is legitimate. You can trust this. Baptism does that for us. That's why I'm encouraging you to get baptised if you've never been baptised before. It seals for us the truth of God's word. 
When we see a baptism, we say, yes, this is legit. We might know in our heads, Jesus cleanses from sin. People are incorporated into God's people. The Spirit has come. Christ did die and was raised again. But when we see it, doesn't it lift our hearts? Doesn't it fill us with joy? When we see the gospel proclaimed in that way, it causes us to give thanks. Thank you, Jesus, that this is legit, that you have truly done these things. This is not just hypothetical. And it also strengthens our faith. When we see someone get baptised, we don't just think, yes, this is what Jesus has done. We, we perhaps reflect on our own baptism. Ah, yes. Jesus has done this for me. And finally, it fills us with hope. Baptism strengthens our faith, fills us with joy and gratitude, but it also gives us hope. Often when we baptise people, we invite our friends and family so that they can see, have signified for them what Jesus has done and might do for them. When I see a baptism, therefore, I'm, I'm filled with positive optimism. Who here might, as a result of this, one day get baptised too, having seen and heard so clearly what Christ has done? Baptism is an integral part of the disciple-making process. It shows or signifies that someone has heard, understood, and responded to the gospel. It represents cleansing of sin, the community of God's people, the coming of the Spirit, and Christ's death and resurrection. It seals in us the legitimacy of those things. Yes, Jesus really is washing sin away, granting new life, and building up his people. If you haven't been baptised, think about doing it. Let me pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for all that Christ has done. Thank you that he has done these things for us. And thank you that we can have hope that he will do these things for others, that he will continue this good work in our world today. Father, help us to understand how important, therefore, baptism is in the disciple-making task so that we might proclaim your gospel, so that we might see it and be filled with joy, thankfulness, and have our faith strengthened. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.